Hello, and welcome back to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas. And each week, I'm going to watch one of the 94 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture and tell you exactly what I think of them. I follow the same template every week. The basic details of the movie, things like who's in it and what's it all about. And then I answer three important questions. One, does it stand the test of time? Two, is it Oscar worthy? Three, should you watch it or will it leave you wondering how do movies like this even get made? Just as a friendly warning, along with my honest assessment of these movies, you'll also get my hot takes on many current events my incessant blathering about stuff that pisses me off, and a heaping dose of adult language. Be sure you listen with caution. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb, as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar related. And with that, let's take it away. This week's Oscar-winning film is Rain Man. It was released December 16th, 1988. It's directed by Barry Levinson. It stars Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise, and Valeria Golino. It was nominated for a total of eight Oscars, and it won four. It won for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Original Screenplay. If you want to watch it, it can be found on HBO Max and Cinemax if you have subscriptions. Otherwise, you can pay $3.99 to watch it on Amazon Prime, Vudu, or Redbox streaming services. So what is it about? Charlie Babbitt, who is played by Tom Cruise, is a high-end imported car dealer. When the movie starts, he's in the middle of making a really big deal. He's received down payments on four Lamborghinis that he's having difficulties getting released by the EPA due to failed emissions tests. (laughs) We've all been there, right? My Lamborghini didn't pass inspection the first time either. Anyway, he has essentially taken a boatload of money in down payments from potential customers in addition to significant bank loans, which he used to purchase those four really expensive cars, and now he can't possibly make delivery on them because the government is holding them hostage in the port of Los Angeles. Charlie needs to get the cars to pass emissions so he can complete the sales and use the money to pay off his loans. He was kind of doing this balancing act, right? Like, I'll pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, and then All of a sudden, everything came due at once and he can't pay up. He's about to be in a very desperate financial situation. Then Charlie gets a call that his father has passed away. Although he was estranged from his wealthy father, he knows he's the only child and believes he's about to inherit his father's estate. Ka-ching! So he and his lovely girlfriend, Susanna played by Valeria Golino, or, ah, crud, that might be Jolino. It might be Valeria Jolino, since she's Italian. Shit, I I don't know. Anyway, 
they travel all the way to Cincinnati for a funeral that he really has no desire to attend. And frankly, he has no business being there. But he's dying to find out just how much he's inherited. Turns out daddy was none too pleased with Charlie severing ties with him all those years ago. And when it comes to dividing up the fortune, Charlie pretty much gets screwed. He is left with a group of prize rose bushes and his father's cherished 1949 Buick Roadmaster convertible. And I'm not going to lie, it's a pretty cool car, but certainly not what Charlie was expecting. He's wondering what the fuck happened to all the money. He is told his father left the remainder of his $3 million estate to an unnamed trustee. After doing a bit of digging, Charlie finds out that that trustee is a mental institution in Cincinnati. This is when Charlie discovers that he has a much older brother that no one ever told him about. Raymond Babbitt, played by Dustin Hoffman, has been institutionalized for the majority of his life. He has autism, but also savant syndrome. And I looked this up. It's a rare condition involving outstanding mental abilities, despite an overall mental disability. So essentially, the autism causes him to have difficulties with emotion and interaction, even in the simplest forms, such as making eye contact or carrying on a conversation. But his brain is also like a supercomputer with incredible recall, memorization, and math skills. So he's a genius, but he's also unable to do even the simplest things to take care of himself. Raymond relies on very strict routines and constant monitoring to maintain a predictable and calm lifestyle. Charlie, of course, is pissed that Raymond's caretakers are getting the money he believes is rightfully his. Now, Raymond has no concept of money and he has no control or even awareness of the situation. So clearly he's not the one to blame here. And although Susanna begs him not to, Charlie convinces Raymond to leave the facility with him, even if it's just for the night. He's hoping he can convince the doctors to give him half the money in order to get Raymond back. When Dr. Bruner refuses, Charlie decides to go to war. He believes if he has actual physical custody of Raymond, then he would have access to the money meant for Raymond's care. And it's not like he plans to ditch Raymond on the side of the road. His plan is to put Raymond in a different facility, probably one that's much less expensive, so he can keep a good portion of the money for himself. I would describe it as kidnapping adjacent, driven 100% by greed. Susanna wants nothing to do with this, so she breaks up with Charlie and leaves town that very same night. Charlie's ultimate plan is to take Raymond back to LA with him, get this case into court, and fight for what he believes is rightfully his. He insists he knows what's in Raymond's best interest and can't comprehend the damage he's risking to his brother by removing him from the comfort of his home, his doctors, and his daily routines. Thus begins a cross-country road trip for the ages where two brothers, one a cocky, selfish, flashy, impatient prick, and the other a frightened autistic who is prone to screaming fits of panic involving self-harm when he's placed in stressful or unfamiliar situations. What could possibly go wrong? 
They make very slow progress on this road trip because Raymond insists on sticking with his routine. Meals must be eaten at specific times. They also need to stop in order for him to watch specific TV shows that he's used to, and he must be in bed by a certain time each night. Raymond refuses to fly on a plane or drive on the interstate and can recite very detailed data to support his rationale. As a method of self-soothing, Raymond constantly talks, like constantly, often repeating the same sentence or thought over and over and over again, chipping away at Charlie's patience. They have a few one-sided arguments, which is basically Charlie losing his shit, yelling at Raymond, and Raymond literally having absolutely no idea why he's yelling. There's also plenty of opportunity for Charlie to witness Raymond's incredible knack for numbers and memorization. We see he's able to perform complex calculations and can count hundreds of objects at once. It's apparent he can perform well beyond the normal range of human capabilities. Charlie's financial situation continues to worsen. His creditor has repossessed the Lamborghinis, forcing him to refund the down payments to all the prospective buyers. He's deeply in debt. And in one scene, we witness his credit card get declined for a $20 motel room. It's gotten really that bad. And this is when Charlie comes up with a solution. He's going to take Raymond to Las Vegas and see if they can win a whole shitload of money counting cards at the blackjack table. And guess what? They win a whole shitload of money counting cards at the blackjack table. It takes a while for security to catch on because they find it absolutely impossible that anyone could count into a six deck shoe. But it's a piece of cake for Raymond and they've cleared 86 grand before they are discovered cheating and are asked to leave. Charlie is able to cover his debt and he reconciles with Susanna who joins them in Las Vegas. When they return to L.A., Charlie meets with Dr. Bruner, who offers a financial compromise, hoping Raymond can return with him to the institution. Charlie refuses because, guess what? It didn't take long, but now he's grown fond of Raymond and has decided he'd rather have a relationship with his brother than have his father's money. It's obvious to us that Charlie and Raymond are developing a bond, at least to the point that Raymond is capable of it. And Charlie has softened a bit. He accepts Raymond's routines and his quirks and is legitimately trying to provide a comfortable and safe environment for him. They meet with a court-appointed doctor who is tasked with deciding what is best for Raymond. It doesn't take but a few minutes of Raymond being questioned for Charlie to realize that he can't have a normal relationship with him, no matter how hard they try. Raymond can't make decisions. He can't protect himself and he will forever live in a state of chaos and fear if he stays with Charlie. It is a bittersweet ending, but this movie captures a unique bond between two people living in completely different mental spaces. Question one, does Rain Man stand the test of time? Yes, the vast majority of it does. The behaviors we see in Charlie Babbitt would be very similar if the movie were written for today's audience. We all recognize this guy. This guy doesn't ever change. He's a young, hot, successful, really well-dressed, exudes confidence, the consummate deal maker, right? He's always closing. Have I got a deal for you? 
He's a smooth talking hot shit beacon of capitalism. We all know somebody like this. This is not something that's old fashioned. We can relate to this character. He's very familiar to us. Guys like this walk among us today. But it's how he reacts to Raymond's behaviors that I think would be much different today. At least I hope it would be. Back in the 80s, we did use the word retard or retarded much more often than we care to admit, mostly because we were assholes. And of course, we know better now. And I think the language would be more sensitive in today's version of this story. The complicated family dynamic, that of a child estranged from a parent, this is a tale as old as time. It actually happens a lot more than you would think. I mean, who among us hasn't been left out of their parents' will? (laughs) But I digress. There have also been a lot of stories through the years about siblings separated for whatever reason in childhood who come back together as adults. No two stories are alike, but it's a common theme and it never really gets old. I feel like the strength and independence of the Susanna character might actually play even better today than it did back then. This is a very small role, but from the very beginning, she is Charlie's emotional compass. She explains that he's withdrawn and that he lacks the sensitivity that she needs from the relationship. When she meets Raymond, she recognizes right away that his daily needs are something far more complex than Charlie would ever be capable of giving to another human being. And although she tries desperately to talk Charlie out of taking Raymond, he does it anyway. And a huge argument ensues. There's a breaking point where she's trying to legitimately understand why he has taken Raymond and what his plans are. And Charlie has the chance right here and now to tell her how he's feeling. And I don't recall the exact words he uses, but you can see on her face how they landed. It's as if he said, you're not important enough to have a say in this, so you just need to shut up. And girl, ooh, I know a couple of weeks ago, I was complaining that the character of Wendy in The Shining just never got there. She never stood her ground and said, that's it. I've had enough of your bullshit. But that's not the case with old Susanna. That tiny little Italian firecracker goes from zero to 700 before you can even bat an eye. She storms out of the hotel room in the middle of the night in Cincinnati where she doesn't know a soul. And I don't even remember her putting her shoes on, but she's like, I'm done. Bye bye. It's a beautiful thing. And it turns out to be exactly what Charlie Babbitt needed to get his shit together. Question two Is it Oscar worthy? Yes, it really is. I think it's endearing, it's funny, it's very well written, and it's brilliantly acted. The other movies nominated that year were The Accidental Tourist. Dangerous Liaisons, Mississippi Burning, and Working Girl. I mean, holy crap. There are some serious heavy contenders in that group. And in my opinion, I even think that Stand and Deliver, or maybe even A Fish Called Wanda, could have been worthy as well. There was just a really good crop to choose from. Dustin Hoffman is amazing and absolutely deserved the win for Best Actor. I'm sure it's very difficult to play a person with this level of disability, and he does it with respect and what I believe is a good deal of accuracy. From an interaction standpoint, Raymond is basically locked away in his own world, and he doesn't converse like the rest of us. 
So imagine playing this character. Hoffman is in this perpetual physical state of like, I guess I would call it like zoning out, right? He's cocking his head slightly to the left and staring off into space for the entire movie. (laughs) He hears everything that's going on, but never gives you any indication that he's engaging in the conversation. And Charlie Babbitt, who's very accustomed to being the center of attention, you know, all eyes on him has extreme difficulty with this. He's constantly saying, Ray, Ray, look over here, Ray, Ray, look at me when I'm talking to you. And it's to the point where he's like snapping his fingers and he's waving his face, Ray, Ray, I know you're in there. I know you hear me. Look at me, Ray. And it's a little bit heartbreaking because you see one character who thinks communication should be this one accepted way. And the other one who is physically incapable of doing what's expected of him. I applaud Dustin Hoffman because he never loses his focus. He has Raymond's characteristics down to the tiniest detail. And it's got to be hard when someone is snapping their fingers a half inch away from your face. But he never gives any indication that he's even aware of what's happening around him. He's laser focused. Tom Cruise does a really good job here as well. When I was researching this, I think I was a little bit surprised. I I guess I thought he had also been nominated, but he wasn't, not even for Best Supporting Actor. In truth, this is his first, I'll call it, grown-up role. Um, He'd spent most of the 80s in teen heartthrob mode with The Outsiders and Losing It, Risky Business, All the Right Moves, Top Gun, Cocktail. So this is really his first chance to appear in a significant Oscar contender, And he makes it worth our while. The character of Charlie Babbitt needs to start off as a grade A asshole because the entire point is that he redeems himself by the end. If he was mildly good and then just got a little bit better, it would defeat the whole purpose. And it's tough to watch him in the beginning because he's easily frustrated by Raymond's limitations. He gets physical with him. He pulls him by his coat or yanks him by his backpack because he's not moving fast enough. And he literally says, stop acting like a fucking retard, which is just so awful. And it's compounded by Raymond's lack of reaction. He has no idea what he's done to frustrate Charlie this much. And Charlie, again, not knowing what Raymond's limitations are, inadvertently, on more than one occasion, causes Raymond to have panic attacks. This manifests itself as Raymond yelling at the top of his lungs and literally hitting himself in the head repeatedly. It's sudden and it's shocking. And Charlie's instinct, the same mine would be too, is to grab Raymond by the arms or bear hug him to get him to stop and calm down. But Raymond's autism isn't conducive to touching. Putting your hands on him just makes it worse. He panics even more. You got to hand it to Dustin Hoffman. He's all in on this character. And you as the viewer, you're kind of holding your breath, right? Because this behavior is so hard to watch and you're scared of what comes next. Is he going to really hurt himself or someone else? Like you just don't know. And the first time it happens, you see Charlie is shocked, but it quickly moves to embarrassment, right? He's mortified that Ray is making a scene, right? But when it happens later in the movie, you now see 
this redemption arc that Charlie's gone on, right? Now you see him look at him with 100% concern for his brother and a really deep sadness over the fact that Raymond lives in this constant state of fear. I think both actors are true movie stars. They more than hold their own in every single movie they've ever done. But together, I think they're a pretty magical duo. According to Wikipedia, it is said that real-life brothers Dennis and Randy Quaid were originally considered for the roles, but I can't imagine anyone but Dustin Hoffman as Raymond. And lastly, let's talk about this script. It won for Best Original Screenplay, and it is so well-deserved. I'd forgotten how funny this movie really is, and, and truly, you kind of feel bad laughing because most of the jokes are Raymond doing and saying things that he doesn't even know are funny. You're not laughing at him. You're laughing at Charlie's reaction to him and how quickly Ray can cause Charlie to lose his ever-loving mind. It's like having a small child who just won't stop talking. And Charlie is not equipped to handle this for a 2,000-mile road trip. Raymond goes off on random tangents. Like, for example, he's very concerned that he's not wearing his regular boxer shorts, the one he gets at Kmart in Cincinnati. And Charlie has to waste a lot of time and energy explaining that boxer shorts are the same wherever you buy them. And no matter how many times he explains it, Raymond just doesn't get it. And that's the part you'll like about the movie is that Raymond is, he's kind and he's sweet and he's funny. And yet he has no idea that anyone would find him to be even be the tiniest bit interesting. It really is a well-written movie with a lot of heart. Question three, should you watch it? Yes, I think this is time well spent. It's probably not one of those you'd watch over and over again, but if you haven't seen it in a while, I strongly encourage you to revisit it. This is a once-in-a-lifetime role for Dustin Hoffman. He spent nearly a year learning about living with autism, particularly with savant syndrome. Audiences at the time, they got confused because they believed what they were seeing on screen was what would be prototypical autism, which you know, they walked away widely believing that every autistic person was a genius. But in truth, having both autism and savant syndrome is an incredibly rare occurrence. After it's released in 1988, we saw funding for medical research and the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder increase by tenfold. And one final note before I go, regardless of what you may have heard, Counting cards is not illegal in the United States. Although casinos can ban the players they believe are counting cards, you aren't breaking the law by doing so. You know what that means. Go make yourself some money. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. This has been episode eight of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can like, follow, subscribe, and even post a review. If you have a comment, maybe I got some facts wrong, or you just want to tell me I have shit taste, you can email cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. 
and the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio, and if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations, so please be generous. Thanks, and see you next week.